Okay, I think it's Wednesday the 7th of November 2007. We're ostensibly looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We've done, <laughs> done. We have passed through very swiftly love, joy, peace, patience, which can be called long suffering. I wanted to look today at a kindness or loving kindness, hesed in the Hebrew. C-H-E-S-E-D or H-E-S-E-D whichever way you like to do it and mercy and goodness I think are the two that we are outstanding we've had a look at faithfulness, gentleness and humility and self-control but the night before last a word dropped into my mind I don't know if you've ever experienced it and um, I could not get it properly because it's a Greek word and the word is prout, P-R-A-U-T-E-S. And it's meekness. And basically it means meekly receiving God's correction. So I thought that your dream was interesting in view of that, when you were retailing that. But I only got the clearness of the word itself this morning, because I remember I had a book. I haven't got it now, probably borrowed it from someone, and it was all about this word prout, P-R-A-U-T-E-S, or P-R-A-O-T-E-S was an earlier form. And it, it is a translation of, into English that comes up meek or meekness, and it denotes gentle, mild and meek, um, and it is an adornment of the Christian profession a gentle and a soothing disposition of working on that. Um, in its use in scripture, this I'm reading now from Vines, in which it has a fuller, deeper significance than in non-scriptural Greek writings, it consists not in a person's outward behaviour only, nor yet in his relations to his fellow man, men. As little as little in his mere natural disposition. Rather, it is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. It is closely linked with the word that I can't pronounce, and it uh, but it means humility. I'll spell it for you. T-A-P-E-I-N-O-P-H-R-O-S-U-N-E I've only... T-A-P-E-I-N-O-P-H-R-O-S-U-N-E Humility. And follows directly upon it meek and lowly. It is only the humble heart which is also of the meek and which as such does not fight against God and more or less struggle and contend with him. This meekness however being first of all a meekness before God is also such in the face of men, even evil men, out of a sense that these with the insults and injuries which they may inflict are permitted and employed by him for the chastening and purifying of his elect. So in other words, everything God allows, he allows it for a purpose. Even the bad things that happen, the evil things that happen, 
the um, well, we'll look at Matthew in a minute because it's part of the Sermon on the Mount of course if you love those who love you what profit is you is it to you you have to love those who don't love you and bless those who despitefully use you because that you show that you're different the meaning of brought and I don't know if that is the way you pronounce it because it's got two dots over the U and a dash over the E so I have no idea is not readily expressed in English for the terms meekness and mildness commonly used suggest weakness and pusillanimity whatever that is to a greater or lesser extent right right whereas prot does nothing of the kind nevertheless it's difficult to find a rendering less open to objection than meekness so really it is a meekness of spirit towards God it is a teachable heart towards God because you're on a losing wicket if you try to fight against what he is doing so it's an inwrought grace and its exercises are first and chiefly towards God in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting because as Graham would say you're just being silly if you dispute what God is trying to do um, because you are just being silly because he's not going to let go he's not going to go and say oh well I'm not going to do it after all then because all the one that will get hurt is you because um, he brings us the easiest way we will come and if we fight and scrap and argue we make our way hard I always say like uh, there's a girly uh, Trish she is a um, phlebotomist which means she takes blood and I learned earlier on years ago that if someone wants to do that you might as well sit still and quiet and be at peace because it hurts less like that and it's rather like that with the Lord you might as well stop wriggling and fighting and running in the opposite direction because you only make it harder for yourself so this word brought is really in respect to meekness of heart towards God as teachable heart like I said about the pen last week we are not our own we belong to him um, but for some reason or other we have not grasped that that uh, we don't we, we, we have changed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light we were owned by Satan before now we are owned by God we let Satan do as he liked with us kick us around like a football but when it comes to going over to the other side we resist the dealings of God like a good one because we don't know which side our bread's buttered on so if God is speaking this morning to you meekly receive his correction so there we are um, the seeds last week that I handed out and this session really could be called growing that seed on um, because it's by our choices that that seed will grow we're entirely um, because of our free will in control of how much the fruit of the spirit will come through in our lives it's totally totally down to us we can quench the spirit we can grieve the spirit uh, we can do all sorts of things we can cause him to withdraw um, because that's the way it goes it's uh, the choice between the dove or the pigeon um, R.T. Kendall's written a, a, um, a, 
a book called The Sensitivity of the Spirit and in it he talks about pigeons or doves and you can flap and clap all away with a pigeon and it won't, you know, it'll just waddle along there but you get a dove and it's off the slightest thing will make it fly away and the, virtually the message that he's giving is it's the same with the Holy Spirit many, many, many churches have got pigeons, not doves they haven't got the Holy Spirit there it's the pigeons they've got very interesting little book so we were looking at, weren't we, that the fruit of the Spirit is the nature of God being formed in us. And it's about displacement, essentially. Putting good stuff in and pushing bad stuff out. That is the way that it works. Um, God says there's just a part of you here that isn't looking like Jesus, so I just want to push into you, by the circumstances, what will bring out the nature and character of my Son. Um, so that's what that is I'm just having another thought I was going to bring you up to speed with what happened on, on church on Sunday morning as I will call it the gathering there were ten of us in the end um, Mick and Trish came a bit late but they came up to speed afterwards Bill and Anne were here already uh, Martin and Janice Richards came. Uh, who else was there, Joyce? I made it ten altogether. Elaine and Mary Sarkey, who sometimes come to the baton meetings, they were there as well. So we knew that God had um, everyone there that he wanted. It was right, hysterically funny, really, because I did an absolute classic. Nine o'clock in the morning, I'm up there having my quiet time with the Lord, saying, "You know, no, I'm not going to speak. Nobody's. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this or that other. I'm not going to listen. That, and that. I'm not. I'm not going to speak. There's nothing on there." Who said? Just that, or said who, or something like that. The two words they were. So, I said, "Am I then?" <laughs> absolutely caught wrong-footed and red-handed and <laughs> everything else you like to think so yes I was uh, what going to speak and what I was going to say was that they were here and the prayer is out there on the um, attached now to the um, invitation on the notice board and it's um, taken from a book called They Drank from the River and Died in the Wilderness, which is, of course, the Israel in the Old Testament. Um, and what God was saying was that they are coming here to meet with me, and whatever I ask of them, I want them to give me. So the question I had to say to them was, ask God what it is he wants from you right now, and give it to him. And also read the two pathways out. So really that was the long and the short of it. The, the meeting started pretty promptly at 11 and it was finished by 12. And I, and I felt the Lord was saying that it was start with, I had put some um, just very quiet music in the background. And he said, this is how it will be. It will start with music like this. People will come in because they're coming in to minister to God and to do what he asked him to do. So the question was, um, 
What's he asking of you right now? Will you give it to him, please, for a quiet life for all of us? <laughs> so I think at that point we will break for a moment. Thank you. So I think that uh, Sundays are probably going to follow that pattern, um, but you can't tell God doesn't make patterns. He's not busy making patterns at the moment. I was saying to um, Martin on the doorstep when I started praying about next year and about what the Lord wanted to do, it was like a brick wall in front of my nose. I could not see anything. Just it was really solid. And then as soon as I started saying to the Lord, well, okay, fine, I'm not fast I'll just wait and see what you want to do it just dissolved into fog <laughs> so there wasn't the resistance under my nose it was just fog so it was much easier to just stand there and of course as soon as I've relaxed about it it's begun to sort of un unpick things one of the things is that um, on the 6th of January nice early start we're going to have a, uh, a rejection conference at the usual venue um, um, which I need to speak to peeps about for publicity and one thing and another. Um, usual time, 10 till half past 4. Restoring the Rejected, I think this one is going to be called. So that's that for the 6th of January, and I believe in January too, in fact I know, we're going to have uh, another um, residential school, which is going to be um, in the face of God. And the next one will be in the hands of God. You can't be in the face of God without soon being in the hands of God. Uh, so uh, it's all systems go again come the new year. Interesting. So there we are. So kindness is, is love showing mercy. And I want to just have a look at uh, one or two um, scriptures here to start with. And the first one is uh, the one that I've picked out is David's response to the death of Saul and this is one of the reasons why David is called a man after God's own heart and the scripture I'm reading is from 1, 2 Samuel 1 uh, verse 20 2 Samuel 1 uh, 25 really is the verse how are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle and t David took up this lament because the young man came and uh, reported, verse 8, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me. This, Sorry, I need to go back a bit. Um, to verse 4. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. This is the young man that's come and prostrated himself before David. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people have fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for agony has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. 
So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then the young man, then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. And David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put your hand forth to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men, and he said, Go near and execute him. So he struck him, so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. David could have responded uh, in a number of ways, and one of them he could have uh, responded in, he could have said, Thank goodness for that, that man that's been chasing me all these years and making my life such a misery is gone at last. But he didn't. He lamented and he killed the man who killed Saul. Um, and this is why he's called a man after God's own heart, because God does not repay in the way that man would expect him to repay. Um, th here's a man who persecuted Saul, uh, Saul who persecuted David as unto death many, many times, chasing him uphill and down dale. But his response was always respect. For Saul, who was the Lord's anointed, you know, when he was hiding in the cave, David and Saul came in and relieved himself, and he cut the corner of his garment off. He was absolutely um, overcome with his what he'd done, because of course what he cut off was, you know, if you know the the, the um, tallet, the prayer shawl, he cut off the knots that actually were the the law on the corner of the, the knots and the and the threads on the corner of the tallet so he cut that off and he was mortified at what he'd done and Saul says to him you are um, a more honourable man than I am because when Saul came out of the cave David came out and called out to him and Saul knew full well David could have just done for him right there and then so it is not the way that we would normally respond in the face of being persecuted, being chased up hill and down dale, uh, being physically attacked, the way that God expects us to respond is not like that. Because God is impartial and he's not reciprocal in his kindness. He doesn't say, oh well you've been good to me so I'll be good to you, uh, you I owe you a favour like the world does, you know, oh they've always been good to me. Her Christians say that so many times, oh, they've been good to me, meaning they've been good to me, so I'm going to do something good for them. That is, that's the world's way of doing it. And Jesus says, actually, in Matthew 5, uh, 43 to 48, whether they're good to you or not, love them. Pray for them. Grow up. Teleos is the word. Be perfect. And the ones he's speaking about are those who despise you, curse you, use you, take you for granted, uh, stomp all over you, don't respect you. And why does he do it? He does it to free us from hate. Because hate is in our heart, you know. But you cannot hate someone you're praying for unless you're saying, Lord, garotum, or maim them slightly, like Graham's prayer with the three stooges, you know. Just maim them slightly, kill them. 
when he didn't understand God's purpose in allowing these people was to deal with him. So you can't hate and pray at the same time unless you're praying to get them. So it's kindness and mercy. So what do you show when you are partial? You show immaturity. That's what you show. You show you haven't grown up yet when you're partial about people. Favouring one over another, loving those who love you, liking those who are easy to get along with, you're being partial. Uh, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff. Tain't easy, is it? <laughs> goes right against the whole of our natural grain. So let's have another look at another one. Uh, Proverbs 24, 17 to 19. I spoke to my son as an aside this morning from Tokyo. And um, this is God, if ever you heard it. He went to the... It was 7 o'clock in the evening for him there. He'd been to the British Ambassador's house last night or today. I've got muddled up with the days. He was going for some function there tonight. But he met the British Ambassador and uh, said... He said it's an old... Um, oh dear, what do you call it? What do you call it when it's... A building that is, is English in, in colonial, thank you, colonial building, beautiful place with a lovely garden. And the ambassador, he somehow got to, to be alongside, and the ambassador said, Fancy a walk in the grounds. So he said, I walked in the grounds with the British ambassador to, to Japan, <laughs> chatting about birds and, and what he'd seen in Greenwich Park last week, and one thing and another. And uh, he said, it, I thought he was going to say, it's, it's bizarre, you know, he was phoning me from the 45th floor of a 48-storey building, the tallest one in Tokyo, looking out over the night sky at Tokyo. He said, it's absolutely, similar. I go on my balcony, Mum, I said, don't even describe it. <laughs> I can look down, Mum, you wouldn't like this, Mum. I can look down and see these cars going along. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. I don't know, that was because of Proverbs, wasn't it? Do you see a man in... Um, the, the proverb that God gave me for Stephen was, do you see a man who is prompt in his business or excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And that was given to me in uh, November 2004. So it's, it's really, really coming to pass. And there's been plenty of handshaking, you know, I said about the white gloves and the handshake. There's been plenty of handshaking. It's just a question of who gets past the post first, Mum. It's the business is not in question. It's going to come from, um, you know. And he spoke to. Um, is this all right? Um, he spoke to. Um, had a chat with, like the biggest cheese on, in the HSBC bank, who lives in Tokyo. And I nearly said to ask him to make sure he m looks after our money. You know. I thought, no, he won't appreciate a joke like that. <laughs> the bit that we got in there. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Proverbs 24, 17 to 19. Oh dear. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, or it is evil in his eyes, and he turns away his wrath from him, like the enemy. 
Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the wicked. For there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we can walk in peace, can't we? Knowing that God is our vindicator. He's the one who justifies and vindicates us. Um, If we keep in line with the way that he's asking us to walk, he will fight our battles for us. And it's the heart issue again. As it said with that word, that prot, it's the heart attitude towards God. It isn't even so much as how we are with each other. It's our correctableness and meekness walking before the Lord that is the important thing because out of that will come meekness and correctability in every other aspect of our lives because we are in submission to God. And so we will um, submit to one another out of uh, reverent respect for the Lord because the work is within our hearts and it won't matter. So the other scripture is Matthew 5, 43 to 48 which is the Sermon on the Mount. My son said, I don't know how I got here. I thought, keep your mouth shut. It's not, now is not the time. Because <laughs> I just knew it wouldn't go down well. To just remind him how he got there. And here we are. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, here's the impartiality of God. He's not reciprocal. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Here it is. Therefore you shall be perfect, teleos, T-E-L-I-O-S, which is coming up to adulthood, growing up, coming to completion, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I know that the Anglican Church say no one can be perfect in this life. Well, he says you can. Because they're thinking of sinless perfection. God's thinking of growing up children. That's what difference, isn't it? you only got to take a text out of context and you've got a pretext. So you show immaturity when you are partial. Because kindness is... Mercy is kind and kindness is merciful. The two go together. Uh, it gives others blessings that they don't deserve. It withholds punishment that is due. It doesn't go out there after they're getting its pound of flesh. God is kind. He's not harsh, hard, sharp. And Lamentations 3, 19-25 says it's because of God's mercy that we can have hope because his mercy is new every morning. So each evening we can go to bed with the soul cleansed from the mistakes of the day. We can rest, wake up, refreshed, and look forward to the day because of his mercy. The one caveat, as Robin would say on that, is that you need to talk to him about what you've done during the day. It's not automatic. 
You can go to bed and wake up like a sooty window if you don't actually do a review of the day before you go to bed and say to him, Lord, I know I've blown it here, there and everywhere today. But, you know, please cleanse me, wash me, show me how I can put it right if I've done something that needs putting right. There are, there are times when we need to correct things. There are times when we actually need to um, make... Um, can't think of the word, you know, where you give it back for what you've done something wrong. You need to, to, to make make up for it. Sorry? Restore, yeah, yes. Restitution. Knew it began with an R. Restitution, yes. Sometimes you have to have to go and eat humble ply and say, look, I'm sorry. And sometimes you have to do it when you're not wrong either. That's the best time to have to do it because that really humbles you. Somebody else has actually done something wrong, but you go and say, look, I'm sorry. You get a double blessing out of that one. But that's the fruit of kindness, long-suffering, patience, mercy. All these things will come out as we start to ask the Lord how we should react and respond in any given circumstance. So God is merciful and it's part of the fruit of kindness is mercy. So he wants to be merciful to us. Uh, Matthew 9 verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to change their minds. Our lives should be continuously changing our minds about how we thought about things yesterday, different today, different mindset, different way of looking at it. You looking for that one? Matthew 9, 13. What's it saying yours? Probably a bit different over there. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were in the good news. I thought it might say something a bit different. So he isn't interested in our penances and our sacrifices when we sin. He wants us to say, "Sorry, Lord. Repent. Receive mercy for our failures." And therefore, righteousness is given by God's grace and not our works. You know, we've done this thing with the hanky so often. You know, we're covered in a robe of righteousness, but now he's working it in. He's poking it in so that righteousness becomes internal. And that is where the battle starts. That is where the old man won't give up. Anne and I were talking about this the other day because there's some teaching about, you know, uh, the old man is dead, so you don't have to be bothered about it at all. And I said... <laughs> That's fine, but have a look in Galatians and Colossians. You know, there is something we need to do. We do reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. Because otherwise, if we keep looking at the fact that we're sinful, we'll just go down in a downward spiral. I walk in the grace of God. I make mistakes. But I ask his forgiveness, and if necessary, ask the forgiveness of the person I've upset. And then I walk in the grace of God. I make mistakes about my choices. But I don't do them deliberately. I pray as much as I can. Sometimes I make a mistake. But I'm free to walk in the grace of God. And that makes me expansive. 
because I don't have to be forever looking to see if I've got it right for the next step. That is legalism. When you're looking at how not to put your foot wrong, you're not free. You're bound in your own necessity to get it right. And it isn't freedom, it isn't grace. Grace is big enough to cover our mistakes. Please feel free to ask any questions if you, if you want to ask them. So we learn how to show mercy to others and it is impossible to show mercy to others until we've received it for ourselves because we cannot give away what we don't have. So first we need to know the love, the grace, the mercy, the kindness of God pouring into our lives so that we can give it away. You cannot be compassionate to someone unless it's his compassion. It's splag something or other <laughs> in the Greek. Splag <laughs> It means literally intestinal. That's where you feel compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. And the more you go on with the Lord, the more you allow him to change your thinking, change your heart, the more the bowels of mercy, as the old King James says, come through. And even if you're mad with someone over something, the compassion, when you reach out to them, will just come through. You know, I, I deal with very difficult people. Um, sheep can be quite awkward, butting, want their own agendas, you know, saying no all the time. Uh, but I just have to say to the Lord you love them through me because I can't do it and the compassion will flow it doesn't matter how difficult they are the phone may ring, Joyce may say it's X, Y, Z and my, I get heart sink and I say wisdom Lord I put the phone to my ear and he answers when I don't actually get that split second that I ask for wisdom it comes out like me and that's not so good at all and I'm thinking hang on this won't do because it's not right I can feel it isn't right and it's, it's just dribbling off my chin you know so the whole thing whether we like it or not is that S word surrender I found out that um, Giles didn't come to the meeting on Saturday I spoke to him um, chased me around on Sunday I think three times and um, um, his wife had gone to the uh, conference Penny, Penny Foxwell's conference at the River Centre and it was all about surrender and I thought well bless my soul <laughs> it's about abandonment it's about surrender call it what you like remember the fountain pen or the pen that God showed me I just thought it was so funny you know it's my pen um, but it's got a mind of its own it's going to give me two hours on Sunday morning and I'd better do all my writing then because it's got an agenda and it needs to be getting there doing this and doing that and doing the other and it's looking for a breast pocket so that it can show its clip off to its perfection somewhere where it will be safe well it had somewhere where it would be safe but it didn't like it with me it wanted to go somewhere else sounds silly doesn't it when you say it like that but that's so often how we are with God uh, we just won't let go of a thing, really. And we cannot give away what we don't have. 
Um, so it's a process, so don't be upset with yourself wherever you happen to be, because wherever we are on the ladder, God is taking us uh, further and deeper into his own heart. We see more and more of how he actually is. And we can read books on the nature of God and the love of God, and the but it's not until it works itself out in our actual daily living till our hearts are touched and broken time and time again he will show me the hardness of my heart my right response then is to allow my heart to be broken not to resist because if I resist it becomes stronger and that eros snake just gets a bit more muscle on it so my right response is what we started with is prots Prots, prots, <laughs> prots, 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 cocktails, prots, prots, crackers, <laughs> prots. Is meekness in heart before God? Uh, Moses was described as the meekest man. How would you like a couple of million people grumbling, murmuring and complaining, following you around, disputing the fact that God had put you in control, arguing the toss, never listening to what you said, never doing what you asked them to do, always backing up onto you all the while. He was patient and kind and meek before God, um, even though they blamed him all the time except when um, of course he finally had had enough of this rebellious lot and he told them just once what he thought of them you see it's not how you start it's how you finish what you've always got to be aware of in the Christian walk is you it is not how you start it's how you finish you can start strong and then go off it's got to be how you finish so every single day your heart's got to be guarded all the time can't afford to slack off you need to be running that race all the while because that's what happened with me it's there to show us and I, I always say Lord I just don't want to get there there's two things I don't want one is that he will ask something of me and I'll say now that is just too much I can't that I can't give that be like Reese Howells then three minutes to six when the Holy Spirit had said to him told you this I'm sure if I come in you go out and he gave him till six o'clock this particular evening to decide and at three minutes to six he's sweating there thinking of all the things he's gonna have to give up uh, and he just couldn't do it and the Holy Spirit said to him would you like some help he said yes please and in three minutes the Holy Spirit took him and at six o'clock he was just gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit and boy did he have to do anything has anybody read Reese Howell's Intercessor? I won't bore you by giving you a bit then will I? <laughs> in those days uh, they, men always wore a hat when they went out wouldn't go out without one so he goes up to London and God told him, no hat, Reese. So he's in this carriage with this man. Reese, 
How could you disgrace me so, going through London with no hat, man? I can't have you in the same garage with no hat. But he sits there. God said, no hat. Then he has to, he was a pit worker, down the pits, and God had said, one meal a day, something like soup and a piece of bread. And that was all he could have doing, all this hard work. He'd come in and his mother's cooked this dinner and he can smell it and he has to go straight upstairs to his bedroom and just get on his face before God. And that's all this lovely. And the Holy Spirit's saying to him, you've got a choice, but if you go out that door, you know, <laughs> behold the goodness and severity of God. But through that man, uh, you may or may not know, England is free today because he was an intercessor and his group of intercessors turned around when Germany was on the way to invade this country. And the prayers of that man prevailed before God and because of him today we're free. God will pass over I'm sure, well I know that he passes over people he'll give them the opportunity to do these things and he will say I want to use you like this are you willing to pay the cost yeah 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 yeah. well have a look at what the cost is because this is what it will cost you what man building a tower doesn't sit down first and weigh up how much it's going to cost him no disgrace it's always a good idea to ask the Lord okay what's going to cost me I had someone here a, a, a little while ago and I thought it looks like discipleship material to me so I kept quiet for a minute or two and I just let them talk and then we began to talk about the fact that we needed a husband, we wanted a husband I thought, forget it, next person please Anybody I take on for discipleship has got to be 100% gung-ho for God Everything else doesn't matter that is what I'm looking for. Anne asked me, she said, what are you looking for in a discipleship group? And I didn't know until I'm actually saying it now. I'm looking for people who will pay the cost. It's no disgrace if you don't want to pay the cost. That's fine. It's up to you. Because it's not my responsibility. What I'm looking to do is to pass the baton on to someone who will come in where I go out. And therefore... Will, will go much higher That's, that is what I'm after it doesn't matter if it's only one person and it's not my responsibility if it's none my responsibility is to just give what I've got keep looking the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to see the hearts of those who are perfect towards him it doesn't mean they're sinless it means that they really want to stay the course and they're going to put everything they've got into staying the course and like that word uh, pathways said, on each path there are tolls to pay. God will bring you up to a challenge. Are you going to do that or are you going to stay there? No disgrace, like the rules of warfare. Go back if you're frightened. Don't come up with the troops because you'll make everybody else scared. So all the while, without us realising it, we're having little tests and we don't realise these things are happening. Um, but it's fine it's okay to be wherever you are it's okay but if you determine in your heart I want I want to go the whole way with God and it's not about gift it's not about ministry it's about him 
he's your goal bearing the fruit of him in your life is what you are you live for is that the character of Jesus might be brought forth in you that it might become manifest that when you reach out to someone God's power can go through I was reading something last night and he said um, this guy had broken his shoulder in a car accident and he was on one of these um, things on, on a plate that held the shoulder and the arm straight and he said he could just lay this plate on people and they get healed <laughs> because the power of God was through him to heal and it, and it didn't matter the fact that his arm was broken um, it is of Reese Howells that his son said when he was asked uh, the Lord's servant was possessed by God I used to say my goal is God himself by any road dear Lord at any cost I now say I want to be possessed by God that is my goal I'm quite open about it that's what my goal is that's what everything it is it means to me is, is everything is that it's not easy for my son to live with some he didn't know that uh, but he can pretty guess it but everything is subservient to my walk with God he'll understand one of these days don't understand now but will one of these days uh, but we all make our choices about how far we will go because God mightily uses people who will give everything and when he does you're not even aware of it when he does you're not thinking my word this is it I've made it because if you think that oh, you'll be flat on your face in no time I remember on Sunday for some reason or other I need to tell you this God was you know dealing with us really and he said get down on your face so I got down on my face down there and I heard the door go and I thought ah someone's coming in late and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me get up so I just stayed where I was flattened my face on the floor and then eventually he said okay you can get up now and of course it was Trish and Mick and she looked petrified you're just looking at me like that and Joyce said I suspect she's seen it many times at Follies and I thought no I don't think she would have done she would have seen people on their backs but people prostrated before God on their faces and I don't think so I may be wrong but I don't think so but she was shaken by what she saw when she came in God's not messing around in these days he just got the message of that I'm sure He's not playing about because he himself has come down to take hold of his church. Because they were trying to say, well, what form is it going to take? Don't ask me, I don't know. Because it's not down to me. God has come down to take hold of his church. And those who want will experience this. But as the word says in Pathways, you can't uh, write about it, talk about it, read a book about it, because we haven't been here so we don't know all we know is that there is the manifest presence of almighty God amongst his people he's walking amongst the lampstands and it is awesome stuff because at the same time as my goal is God himself and my goal is that um, I should be possessed by God I have a very very wholesome awe of God 
I know he could turn me to a crisp at any second. And what is lacking in the Western Church, and particularly in the charismatic movement, is the, is the reverent, respectful fear of God. Yes, he's my daddy. I can take a man and jump onto his lap and whisper into his ear all the things I want to tell him. Yes, but he's also, if you like, the chief executive. And when the board of directors are there, the child does not behave like that. Behaves with due, reverent respect in order that the rest of the board of directors should see how the child of the family responds to the father himself. Because if your children do not respect your husband, the father of the family, when other people are there, it actually says something about daddy. Because the respect in which the children hold the father, other people will see. I'm not just talking about this awe that I have of God. I have a fear of God. Because I have an idea who he is. But it's a healthy fear. It's a worshipful, respectful fear. It's a delicious fear, if, that, if you can understand that. Graham Cook would say exactly the same, you know. I can say anything I like in his presence, but at the same time I have to be careful. There is this dichotomy, or whatever you call it, paradox. And without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. None. Because it says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning, just the beginning of wisdom. I don't know where I got off onto that one. <coughs> but Moses, I mean, he met the Lord face to face, but he was not he was not um, presumptuous in that. And at the end of the day, he'd had enough. That is what always worries me that I'll be pushed to the place where I think that is about the last straw and I'll do like he did. Because you can lose it right at the last. You're not going to lose your <laughs> salvation, but you can lose the position, the reward, the inheritance by blowing it. That's why it's in there. Uh, Numbers 12, 1-13, very interesting scripture, his response to these um, guys. Because I said to the Lord, um, I haven't got anything to say this morning. And he sort of said, trust me. I actually said, do you say what you want to say this morning? as I always do but uh, sometimes more than others because all I've got was that bit here we go then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses criticised is the word because of an Ethiopian woman who married freed married an Ethiopian and they said has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. This is a bit quick, this retribution here, if that's the right word. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. 
And the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood by the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And he said, Now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Mo Moses, here we are, look, moved with compassion, cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. And the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut out, so she gets shut out over the camp. But she comes back, um, and she's healed. Because Miriam, Moses, and Aaron were brothers and sisters, weren't they? Mm -hmm. So they were rising up against him with accusation and rebellion. But his response was not, yes, yeah, serves a flipping well right, talking to me like that. No cries out in prayer for her God please heal her it's the same as Jesus isn't it on the cross there he is Father forgive them I was reading again somewhere that at the point when he cried that out he was having to lift himself up to get breath enough to speak you know because his feet were nailed to the cross and the whole weight of his body was down so he was pushing up in enormous agony to shout out Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing Why didn't you go to anything to Aaron? Why was it Miriam? I don't know. Um, maybe Miriam was the one that uh, was doing the inciting. Um, because you see, on a couple of times, you see it in Genesis that the man hearkened to his wife, and that caused a lot of trouble. Adam listened to what Eve said. Have a bit, she said. So he listened and did it. And you see it with Abraham. He listened to Sarah, went out to Hagar, and we've got the Palestinian problem for our trouble. So maybe Miriam was whispering to Aaron against the Ethiopian woman. That's sort of what you can read into there, really. Because... Uh, it just seems to be part of the female um, problem that they whisper into the ear of their mister. <laughs> Sometimes with disastrous results. <laughs> I can't see the clock this morning. That's all right then. So the second one is Joseph. He was kind to his brothers who have been unkind to him and some, stuck him down a hole. Abraham was kind to Lot. 
is by a fly. I always think of Lot being a bit like a kiddie that's being pulled along and he's always looking behind to see, you know, mm, wouldn't go back there really. And scurfing him along to, to try and get him to the right place. Because remember Lot, even when, the, even when the angels came down and said to him, we're going to, that caused a lot of problems too, didn't it? When the angels came down and said, come on, you've got to run and don't look back. He said, oh, I can't, I can't go that far. Oh, dear, take me to a near place, you know. And he ends up in the caves, doesn't he? And he ended up up there with his two daughters who had to contrive to lay with him and we got Moab and Ammon as a result of that incestuous relationship. All because Lot wouldn't stir his stumps and move. Because he wanted the easy way, did Lot, really. Though he's called a righteous man. But he wanted the easy way. He didn't want to have to. He, he, he camped right in Sodom. It's like he got as close as he could to what was going on without getting involved in it, if you see what I mean. He was. Uh, Woe is me, he says, doesn't it? In Psalm 120. I dwell between Meshech, we went through this, and Kedar. He's just dribbling on the edge of the Christian walk there. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. And drifting on the edge of the Christian walk, I'm sojourning in Meshech, who were warlike people, I think. And the, the people of Kedar, which was north and south of Jerusalem, were known for the lust of things. So, Lot was a bit like that, wasn't he? You know, I just get as close as I can without actually tripping over into doing it. And... Uh, I was looking at him as having a bit of elastic on his hand. He wanted to look back all the time. I remember the garlic, you know. His relatives later on would be saying the same thing. So Abraham was kind to Lot. Ruth was kind to Naomi. Um, even though it meant personal hardship. She had to leave everything, didn't she, Ruth? Ruth uh, won 14 to 18. Now, I might quite have a difficulty finding the book of Ruth. I rarely go in there. Somebody give me a clue about where she is. I'll have to look in here. Yeah. i have to look in the, in the index. Between Joshua, Judges and Samuel 1 and 2. Right. Joshua, Judges and Samuel 1 and 2. Let's see Oh yes. Ruth one fourteen to eighteen. This is Ruth and Orpha Orpa and uh, Naomi, wasn't it? So verse twelve um verse eleven. Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. 
But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord does do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And uh, Ruth was kind to Naomi. She had to leave everything behind and go with Naomi. And Naomi says in verse 20, Don't call me Naomi, which is pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Somebody said to me the other day, they've got a friend called Mara, and I thought, that's bitter. I must think on to see what this is all about. And then in Ruth 2.16, we see that God arranges for Ruth to have handfuls on purpose. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, that's verse 15, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let some of the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So God arranges for her to have handfuls on purpose. And Paul taught all the churches to be kind and merciful. He said they worked among the churches with all gentleness, which is kindness. And David we've already looked at. Great men are kind and merciful and gentle. Okay, so what will, what will choke the fruit of kindness? Fear. Fear of being taken advantage of. And we'll do that. And Moses was taken advantage of. Joseph certainly was. Abraham, Ruth, Paul, David. They all showed kindness. All were taken advantage of. But God honoured them and he dealt with their enemies. You never have to be concerned about being taken advantage of. We're taken advantage of day in, day out. Yeah? Sometimes we manage it easier than others. Other times we think, flipping sauce. But it happens. And if you allow yourself to be taken advantage of, God will deal with your enemies. But if you try to vindicate yourself uh, out of fear uh, or to, to protect that which you consider you know, people shouldn't be helping themselves to, um, God can't do it for you. When Graham Cook says the same thing. Let yourself be taken advantage of then. Okay, what's it matter? There's that story, isn't it, of the, of the uh, burglar. It was a, a, a priest or something that had been burgled. And the police or whoever, the magistrates, brought this man to him and said, um, is this the robber that took all the stuff from your house? You know, this is the one we've caught him with all the things in. And the priest responded to him, oh, he said... Uh, I forgot to say you forgot the candlesticks, see they <laughs> gave him the candlesticks. Look I'm reminded of something that happened when we were at the Wesley Centre. I mean we were banging along on a, a shoestring there even more than we are now really. And we had got this drafts board and drafts so that people could play drafts. And it came to clearing up and the drafts had gone and the youngsters had been in 
and I thought someone's out there was flipping. I said to Joyce, I'm behind the the little hatchway where we serve the tea. Someone's had the drafts. I said, no, we can't. Oh, well. And all of a sudden, I think it was Charlie, or it might have been one of them whose name I don't remember, Sean, shorter than Charlie, came in through the door with his jacket, you know, um, bomber jacket thing, sort of had a bulge in it. And he just lifted it up on the thing and went like that, and all the drafts fell out. <laughs> I didn't say a word, just turned around and walked out. His conscience must have smitten him up on the way out. God dealt with him. I mean, most of them actually gave their hearts to the Lord. Really, they understood what they were doing. Uh, where they all are now, I don't know, but they they had their cards marked. Fear drives us to take care of ourselves, and we do have to learn to cast our care on Him because He cares for us. Last night, I got a phone call about ten to ten, which was quite disturbing, and. Um, the person wanted prayer, um, which is okay, uh, but at that time of night, as I said to Anne, we do a discourage a phone calls for ministry between nine o'clock and nine o'clock if we can, bearing in mind that we're both up early, um, so we need our little bit of kit. But this phone call came in um, about ten to ten, and I had a real fight because what happens is my mind starts going. I'm looking to see what the cause of the problem is, how I could have prayed with it better, praying and asking the Lord, and I get active and then I can't go to sleep. And I thought, I'm not having this tonight. I know why this is. It's because I'm teaching tomorrow morning. I need my sleep. And I just absolutely cast it. Joyce prayed for me to be able to drop it, which is rare for me. I I'm learning now to bat it off. But what I asked the Lord to do was to cover my mind with the blood of Jesus so that I didn't get active if I woke in the night. And what with that and my nice warm nighty, I went off. And that was that. I cast my care. Uh, see, what I felt that the Lord was, when I was praying about it, I felt what it was is I take responsibility on for people. This guy is coming for, for ministry. Not counselling. He's coming for ministry tripped over a problem, phones up for prayer, so immediately I feel responsible to sort him out. Responsible to come up with an answer. Well, it isn't my responsibility. I've really got to say, Father, he's yours. I'll just hand him over, because it's not my responsibility to try to work this out. And it's really, really hard. Uh, but I'm training myself to do it. And the other thing is that when we spend our lives taking care of ourselves, we actually limit what we can have. Because what God does, he does exceedingly and abundantly. And for those who are in his hands, he leaves handfuls on purpose. I mean, in a simple way, you've only got to see the way the apples and that keep coming over the back there. We don't even have to tramp through the orchards to get them anymore. Young fellow Milan next door goes off and comes over with these bags. That's why you're signing the card to say thank you today. Brilliant, isn't it? A brilliant idea. Oh, I love that card, don't you? Oh dear. So while we are spending our time 
trying to guard ourselves and guard what we've got, God can't do it. So excessively trying to come back to this to prevent ourselves from being taken advantage of shows we don't trust God. Um, we're focused on ourselves and that selfishness draws all kinds of problems. So being kind to those upon whom we desire to take revenge <laughs> clearly shows that we trust God. I mean we all have that retaliatory thing within us. I learnt it early on when I was first a Christian, had a kitten and dear little thing, boots, little spike of a tail he had and he was on my lap one day and he suddenly went for me and I wanted to smack him and I, I stayed my hand because I thought oh He's only tiny if I'd have walloped him with my hands, you know. But my desire to retaliate was instant and powerful. I'd have clocked him while he'd have gone flying. And it was at that point that I saw my old nature, my desire. So if someone hurt me, I was going to hurt them back. And it was a real object lesson for me. I mean, you, you can draw your own conclusions and look at your own hearts and see where you are now. Um, but... God is just uh, gradually is bringing me to the place where there is no retaliation in me. You know, I don't actually want to turn around and retaliate. Uh, so being kind to those upon whom we desire to take revenge shows that we trust God. Because, as I say, here we can be ripped off right, left and centre. Uh, one of the favourite things when people are coming to stay with us uh, is... You start talking, they ask it on the phone, you're fixing up that they're going to come. And then they say, well, what about, how much does it cost? And you say, well, it doesn't cost anything. You ask the Lord what's wrong. Oh, and you can hear in their voice, ah, you know, I, could, I might be able to get away with it. Uh, so you say, you just pray. It doesn't matter, we're not worried about it. You pray and you ask him what you want to give. So then they arrive on the doorstep and they have whatever they're going to have and they're going home and then you get I've forgotten my checkbook and you say fine first few times I mean the number of times this had to happen to me I can't tell you before <laughs> before I got peace in it because I'm thinking that is a deliberate you would not go into a shop and forget your checkbook <laughs> you would not go into a hairdresser's and forget your checkbook you don't go somewhere and do that <laughs> But now I can truly say, if they say, I'll put something in the post, I don't, I, I hardly anything goes in, because the number of times we've had that as well, I'll put something in the post. You can say goodbye, because <laughs> I get this instant forgettery as soon as I get the end of the path. Uh, but it doesn't matter, God was dealing with me and it took me a long time to realise that it was me he was dealing with. And he's saying, they are not your source of supply, Beryl. I am, which is, uh, it all comes back to him being everything to us uh, and us not taking revenge ourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And he will do it in his way, in his time, how it, he chooses to do these things. So we've really got to get peace and leave it to him to do it.
it's it's and it's a hard one because our old nature which is supposed to be dead I'd like to have a word with that man it is but I do have a lot of trouble with it <laughs> comes knocking on the door <laughs> get down so really the whole thing is surrender let his fruit come through in the situation just surrender to him in whatever situation it is um, whatever it is and remember we can't give away what we don't have and he doesn't expect us to do anything for other people that he doesn't do for us so he gives us day by day moment by moment forgiveness mercy patience love long-suffering you go through the fruit of the spirit and he always believes the best he always believes the best so be blessed in the name of jesus thank you